holidays in Paris, escaping from aliens and fancy names. This is Staying In. Do you know what I did over the holidays? Um, I did... I, I went to Paris. That was fine. Got ill. Yeah, I, I haven't spoken to you about Paris. How did yeah. you Went to Paris... Paris is lovely. I don't know why people say that the Parisians are rude. I think that um, uh, it, Paris is like London, but with nicer architecture. Um, like it's a capital city. Yeah, well, no, but it is. It's, it's a it's a European capital city. It's got roughly the same roughly the same temperature. The people we are so much like the French. It's unbelievable. Like the 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 Londoners are. Just as friend, just as friendly, and nice, and just as standoffish and rude as French capital city dwellers usually are. It's the exact same thing. It's like it, it, it's a it's a living, breathing, working city. It's not a tourist city like a, like a Rome or something like that. Um, and yeah, like had had absolutely lovely. It had random people coming up to us in the metro saying hey, uh, hey, like something in French, and then us going uh. Uh, Je ne comprends pas. Yeah, like um, bonjour. Like very nicely saying, like you know, do you speak English? Parlez-vous anglais? Like, uh, um, and then them saying in perfect English, like, oh, would you like any help? And and we were like, uh, can you imagine on the London Underground somebody coming up to you and saying, oh, would you? Are you all right? Do you know where you're going? Like, you grab your pockets. You would grab everything you have and make sure that you aren't being rinsed. But, like, yeah, had that two or three times. Had, like, lovely conversations with people, talking about lovely, lovely... And it, they were genuinely interested. It was really nice. Um, and, obviously, the, the city is incredible. We went to... Alex and I went to uh, all the sites. Uh, uh, went to uh, the Louvre. Um, had a wander around. Musée d'Orsay, which is absolutely wonderful as well. Uh, the basilisk, the um, can't remember what it's called now. There's a there's a tomb where um, I obviously went to the catacombs, but there's also a tomb of all the great French um, people. So like, uh, yeah, like um, a whole bunch. Like Voltaire is buried there and, um, and and stuff like that. Absolutely lovely, wonderful. Seeing all of these cool things had the most delicious French toast I've ever had. Hang, uh, Pete, Pete, Pete. Can you explain? Is that is that toast that you just had in France? Or yeah, that's French right. Yeah, toast, toast please, mate. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yeah, French toast. Yeah, delicious, like uh, brioche toasted uh, with uh, with like a caramel dressing and some ice cream. So it was a dessert, dessert at a um, something. I think it was called the Cafe Rouge Fille, uh, which is a lovely little restaurant on one of the side things. Managed to not eat at any of the tourist traps. Did a big tour of the city big food tour it's called uh, hidden secret food tours i think they're called wandered around paris got shown all the places to buy the best chocolate and oh my god it was amazing uh like how to find out whether or not you're you know going to be buying decent bread eight incredible cheeses amazing stuff had rock for for the first time you guys had rock for this is this is the I, year. I, like, the I like my mild cheeses to be honest i'm not really... uh, right, yeah okay. i'm i'm not a strong cheese person me and dan are baby bell boys a baby, Chris and boys. So did Disneyland as well. It is a small world after all. Um, and uh, wandered around, see, saw all the cool things. And best thing about Disneyland. Have you guys been to Disneyland recently? 
I've never been. I've been to Disneyland Paris probably around about six or seven years ago. Right. So you might have been around for the inauguration of this. There is a park called Disneyland Studio Tour or something like that, Studios. It's like there's Disneyland Park where you, it's all like fun and it's really for the kids. And then there's a bit more that's a bit more like Alton Towersy, um, Chessington E, Thought Parky, um, which is a bit more rides and a bit more about the, the films and the animation and stuff. Um, and there is a tour there which is absolutely hilarious because um, the. So they, it's basically a tour where the conceit is that uh, you're with a tour guide and they drive, they're driving you around on the set of a movie that's currently being filmed. That's the, that's the conceit. Clearly, that's not actually happening. And what they've done is they've built these big sets and they explain to you this is, um, this is how... This is how we film a, film a production. Like, this is the set. It's a working set. Don't get out the bus. Don't get out the bus. This is a working <laughs> set. Uh, and uh, we're going to tell you how how, uh, how it gets put together. Um, it's got the guy from the Assassin's Creed movie in it, but not the main guy. Who's the baddie in the Assassin's Creed movie? Jeremy Irons, would that be? Jeremy Irons is in it. Well done, Chris. And some French lady that I didn't I, I didn't know who she was. Um, and they basically talk... Marion Cotillard? They, sorry? Oh, I don't know. They basically oh, talk with one another... She talks in French and he talks in English, and they're talking about the the, the movies, the current movies that are being produced. And it's so, like, hang on, just check: is this is this on like a video? I'm assuming. No, no, so this is a video. <laughs> Jeremy uh, Irons on... is there, Dan. Live. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say you're making it sound as if you've driven to see them in a room and they're not yeah, talking absolutely. to you about. So, this. so this is on the video in a bus, essentially that you're being toured around on on this thing. It's this big tour. It drives away from the park, and you go to these sets. And Jeremy Irons is explaining this stuff. The brilliant thing about this is when they filmed it, they didn't think, you know, all of these current references are going to be really out of date in like six months after this ride comes out. So Jeremy Irons, there's a bit in the ride where Jeremy Irons says... And this, of course, you're on your left. You'll see us. You'll see one of the props that we used for our recent smash hit, Reign of Fire. And it's like, and it's like, this is amazing because that is like twelve years ago that that came out. And, and he's like talking about like, and uh, you'll all be looking forward to this incredible CGI of dinosaur. And you're just like, you're like, wow! Like it's like, look at all of the high tech computers we have to use to to render this amazing visuals. And it's like, you know, I mean, it looks pretty cool for the time, but you know, it, in, it, considering what Pixar's doing now, it really is like shadow puppets moving along the bottom of the screen. It's like, like a here, here's a little sneak peek at our upcoming film. Toy Story. No, 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 no. It wasn't Toy Story. It was here's an upcoming peek, sneak peek at our upcoming film, Pearl Harbor. And it was just like, <laughs> it was like, this is great. Why did no one think that like this would be out of date immediately after filming? Um, so that's really, and it was really, really good. Uh, it, was a, it is genuinely a really good tour, and they they do a lot of explosions and fireworks, and then they flood this huge. Oh, it's so good. Um, so France was great, and then travelled back, and on the way back to uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport. Um, um, was on the train and we were sitting on with our bags and being nice nice tourists and behind us was this woman going <laughs> and Alex turns to me and she has as, as I said in a, in a couple of podcasts back she's been ill basically every month in 2016 and she turned to me and she was like I'm gonna get fucking ill again I know it. So we get back to, fly back to England, uh, back to Bristol, sunny Bristol, 
And in the evening, I'm like, <laughs> bit of a scratchy throat. And Alex is fine. Next morning, wake up. Brilliant. Repack. Go and visit my parents. Um, packing. Oh, we've got hot eyes. Hot eyes for me is like a thing. I'm like, if I get hot eyes, I'm like, oh, I feel a bit. Hot eyes. Can I pause it? Hot eyes. Hot eyes. So is my eyes feel hot? I, I know that feels like <laughs> the actual eyeballs feel hot. I, I don't know how I've to. Never heard that. of that symptom. Dan, what's yeah, your brain like at the moment? Is your brain feeling a little bit itchy? You know, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like hot eyes. It's that. Yeah, like I feel like my when ears I blink, smell. They really when do. When I blink, my eyelids feel slightly hotter for a second um and you know when i touch them i'm like oh this is horrible um, almost so, like a, like almost like a mobile phone screen when it overheats because yes, it's, it's no, been exa- powered on full for too long exactly like that chris um so anyway that's usually like a, oh you're feeling a bit under the weather so we pack and we trundle our stuff down to the bristol bus station to get on a uh, uh, a coach to go to royal tamridge wells my uh, hometown which is a six-hour journey half an hour into the journey i come down with the cold that has been going around seemingly the UK um, for the last uh, month or so. Um, I come down with it, and I come down with it hardcore on the coach. I am shivering. I am like... (laughs) Like Except the eyes, which are still my blisteringly eyes hot. On fire. Your eyes uh, are nothing but fire right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I am I am shivering and I'm wrapped up in the thing. And I find out, and, and Alex is like, oh, it's warm in this coach, isn't it? And I am just absolutely shaking. Because your laser like, eyes are just heating. <laughs> yeah, I'm basically uh, Cyclops at this point. The um, And like, so then we get into Victoria Station, we have to do the change, and it's then, th- and then it's outside. So if I was freezing cold on the really hot coach... I am so cold, sat in this horrible place with hot, a bunch of very loud people around me. Get into Tunbridge Wells. Hello, everyone. Hello. Yeah, we're going to have a lovely Christmas, uh, like pre-Christmas hanging out. And so immediately, like, hang around and for a couple of hours and then immediately go to bed. I proceed to sleep until 3 p.m. the next day. Like, this is my visit. We, we Dan, Dan, it's like, Dan, it's like your stag do all over again. I was going to say, this isn't something that's completely out of the ordinary for you. No, 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 of course. But this is how I recover and stuff. You did sleep for about 16 hours straight on my stag. Dan, it's like, Dan, Dan, it's like it. Dan, it's like Pete goes into some kind of chrysalis and <laughs> just like regenerates. I think it's true. You I fell asleep at four in the afternoon and woke up the next morning. I am basically uh, Doctor Who. Uh, I just regenerate, uh, but it's the same. <laughs> Into the same face. <laughs> Into the same thing. It's like, mm. um, so um, the, so yeah, do that and, and, and basically have the dinner with them and see the nephew and the niece and, hey, yeah, isn't that nice? And they're like, Uncle Peter. a lovely time. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Read me the book while I cry. Um, and then the following morning, get up at 6 a.m. to get on the coach again to go back, do another six-hour journey back to Bristol freeze like clearly not well at all um and then spend the next couple of days recovering trying to recover it's still not ready by christmas day and we are hosting and i am cooking so i wake up at nine o'clock or ten o'clock in the morning and then start doing the whole christmas dinner and it's me and i'm lem sipped up to the ears uh blackcurrant lem sip by the way Got to get them as a sponsor because honestly, blackcurrant lemsip. I am on brand with a blackcurrant <laughs> lemsip. Um, so really dosed up and and whatever. Um, and um, proceed to cook a Christmas dinner. So <laughs> managed to burn the pigs in blankets. That's just 
I've never eviscerated a, 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 a charcoal grilled uh, pigs in blankets in such a bad way before. But the rest of the dinner was fine, and then proceeded to recuperate and relax. And Does do this story happened. end with everyone else who was at your Christmas dinner coming down ill? <laughs> no, no, no. Everyone's been fine. Alex is fine. Her parents are fine because they came over for Christmas dinner. They're all fine. It's just been me huddled, going, and I feel better now. I've still got a bit of a cough, but I'm still feeling a little better now. I Obviously, sometimes we talk about the little WhatsApp chats that we had. I would send little Snapchats and WhatsApps of you of explaining how many Willingtons uh, uh, I was ill. And I I think I got up, I think in my delirious days, I mentioned that I was up to about four and a half, and that was was full on, yeah. I I mean, what kind of took the edge off slightly, Pete, and what kind of... I suppose prevented me from being overly sympathetic was the Snapchat <laughs> filters you chose to use to kind of <laughs> consolidate your ill health. Well, Chris, how how was yours? It was brilliant. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> Literally, when I went to um, see my parents, stayed with them, played a ton of board games. Um, we talked about the podcast before. My parents are mad on board games. And they bought me... Uh, three for Christmas. One, uh, a card game I've not picked up yet called, I've not looked at yet called All My Goods. It's a German game. Another one called Jaipur, which is a very nice light two player card game. And another one called Escape from the Islands of Outer Space, which we need to talk has about got that, our colleague Daniel Frost. His name is inside it. I said, look, mum. Well, hello look, there. Dad. Dan Frost. His name is in there. Special thanks because Dan, you tested this game. And I did. I tested the game. Fantastic and I... game. I helped... uh, So you were the lead designer? No, I don't want to in any way oversell what I did because I basically suggested a certain wording in a single sentence in the rules. Yeah. I think that's about all I did. Okay. But your name's in it, Dan. It is indeed, and I'm very proud of that because it is a great game. It's a brilliant game. It's it's a hidden movement game, which I've annoyed a lot of you about because I've been after and umming and ahhing about hidden movement games for years. I thought, shall I get something like Fury of Dracula, but that looks like it takes too long... Um, there's a great game called Nuns on the Run, but I'm not sure about the theme. And uh, Spectre Ops as well, but again, I'm not sure about the theme. Um, so I'm plumped for this one. And basically, Pete, have you ever come across this game before? It's basically, imagine that I've given you a map. It's like mm-hmm. a map of hexagons with like numbers mm-hmm. on them, like battleships. Dan has also got the same map as you, and so have I. I deal out a bunch of cards. It's right. in secret, a bit like Werewolf. And two of us are aliens, one of us is a human, but we don't know who each other is. And we take it in turns on our go to, to move around on our map, but we don't have a piece. We, what we do is write down our coordinates of where we're moving to, to keep track of where we are. If we move into a white bit, we just we tell everyone, silence in all sectors. That means we've moved into a white area, it's safe. But if we've chosen to move into a, a hexagon that is dark grey, we have to draw a card. Now that card will give us one of three options. One will be silence in all sectors, so nobody knows still where you are. If we draw a red card, we have to tell everyone where we are. Or if we draw a green one, we have to name any other coordinates on the board. But to the people outside who've seen you draw that card, they're not sure if you've drawn a red card or a green card. So they can't be sure exactly where you are. The aliens are trying to hunt the humans. The humans are trying to escape to one of the four escape pods in the corners of the map. And that's it. But it's literally like that scene in Alien when they look in the radar gun thing and they can see the blips of the aliens and how far they are ahead of them. And you like that with your map. And because Osprey have done this, they've given everyone, everyone's maps are dry wipe. 
and there are several of them. Right, okay. Which is brilliant. Like, and so you can draw all over this map where you think everyone else is, trying to work out as an alien where the humans are and choosing when to pounce and then reveal that you're an alien. Um, and it can also happen that you can actually accidentally kill another alien. That's cool. Cause, yeah, so it's, it's really good. So it's really tense, You'd, but it's really good fun. And I highly recommend it. It plays it to eight people as well, which is just brilliant. So I had, I had about, I had my family, um, my partner, my sister's boyfriend, my brother's girlfriend, all of us, eight of us on the spaceship. Four of us trying to escape, four of us trying to kill the others. Um, and what's even brilliant, better piece, if you get to one of the escape pods, you have to draw a card. There's a one right. in five chance you'll draw a card that will mean that the escape pod doesn't work. Ha! Everyone knows yeah. where you are, and you've got to go okay. and try and find... That's deactivate that escape pod, and you've got to try and make your way to one of the other three. That's brilliant. I was actually playing it with, with Duncan. I think this was just before it got released. He kind of brought it kind of around to kind of play test it. Um, and it was me, my wife, and then him and his uh, fiance. And... I think at that time, I think me and his fiance were aliens, and I was convinced that I knew where my wife was. I was convinced where I could see her on the map because following her path, I knew exactly where she was. So I started hunting her, I started attacking certain areas because I knew she was in a small area. And then eventually, I was kind of like, you have to be here. And then it turns out, I don't know how she managed it, but she was on the completely opposite side of the map. That's and she amazing. would, she had just been able to send me down a garden path, and I was just in this corner, just hitting all around me because I'm like, I know you're here, and she was completely so the other weird. side of the map, and I was so annoyed. The exact same thing happened to Sam. Love that about those like social deduction and like hidden movement games, like that that feeling of like it's that aha moment, and whoever it is that ends up getting that aha moment, it's always such a like such a good payoff for the for the tension and stuff, and oh, so so. But that's good. great when you have kind of. For me, as the alien, I, I got the aha moment of knowing where she was, and she also yeah. had an aha moment of saying, no, you don't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what's quite cool as well is because it's this whole idea, it's almost like dead space, it's an infection. So if an alien kills a human, the human comes back as an alien. Brilliant. And you, you get to a point where there's like seven aliens and one human trying to make their way past all of them. It, honestly, it's really good. It's that, it is just a brilliant... And it's just pen and paper, really. So what's that called again? Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space. Amazing, yeah. Okay, Dan, did you get to play many board games and so on? I did actually. Mine was quite a. a in terms of gifts, I uh, I got two gifts of board games, and then I also sneakily bought myself one as well post Christmas. Um, but what it does mean is that I now have like a, a solid foundation of board games. Uh, so the ones I got for Christmas. Uh, well, the ones I got for Christmas, I got um, Pandemic which we've all played and we all like. Um, I also got um, a game of Cluedo, but it's a Game of Thrones-themed Cluedo, which has both regular Cluedo um, kind of game format and also an alternate version of Cluedo. So is it like Colonel Mustard versus uh, Gimli or whatever the fuck it is? No, there's... there's... (laughs) Long last... All the pieces are going through its pieces, but it's got two game modes, so two sides of the board. One side of the board is obviously Game of Thrones themed, but it's Cluedo, as as you would expect. Um, whereas the other side of the board is a completely different game using all the same elements. And oh, right. I haven't, I've not played it yet, so that's really interesting. So you can play um, as like you can play as like Boromir versus that 
that woman with the white hair and stuff who stands at the Okay, so Pete, you're just pulling out random uh, fantasy characters from all different areas. I can't can't stop correcting you, Pete. No, she's she's got like a castle. Yeah, you're thinking of someone from Game of Thrones and you're thinking of someone from Lord of the Rings. Oh, is she from Lord of the Rings? No, Boromir is Lord of the Rings. Oh. Sean Bean, played Boromir, was in Game of Thrones. Right. Okay. Um, uh, Name drop, I was on set of him uh, a few weeks ago. Really? Boromir? Yeah, Yeah. Sean Bean. Uh, (laughs) He doesn't like to be referred to by his character name. Yeah, that's what I shouted out to him. (laughs) He doesn't doesn't appreciate being called the character name he played around about 15 years ago. Do do that line, you know. uh, Which line? Do that line from Civilization VI when you unlock the pyramids. (laughs) What? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, good. Do you know what? That's his best role, Sean Bean. Sharp and man who explains <laughs> what's happening in Civ Six. Um, yeah, um, lucky you went with me. <laughs> like, what did you say to him? Did you say anything to him? No, I didn't really. I mean, did you touch him? <laughs> what emotionally or physically? Either. No, I, I, I mean, to be honest, I was trying to get home and like, <laughs> and Who's I it your way? They were filming this drama on uh, my campus. And I'd just finished work at about five and they were doing an outdoor scene and I couldn't walk through until they finished this shot. Yeah, he seems like a really nice guy, a really nice chap, apparently. Really lovely. So, Dan, um, so you've bought yourself... So, hang on, you've got Pandemic, Cluedo. What was the game you bought yourself, Dan? The one I bought myself was Munchkin. Ah. So, when I say I have kind of a foundation of board games now, so my what I consider to be kind of a foundation of which to build a collection in terms of covering all bases and kind of kind of gateway games. So I've got Pandemic, I have Munchkin, I have Splendor. Great game. Uh, I have Resistance, and I have Codenames. Okay. And basically, I think any kind of gaming... You haven't got a worker placement game? So like uh, Catan or Carcassonne or... I do have Catan. Oh, you've got Catan? Oh, well, you've sorted them. So I have those, but I, I consider those, those kind of core ones, having like Munchkin and Splendor and Pandemic and stuff, as a solid base yeah. with which to build a collection. Not that I'm planning on building a huge collection, but yeah. any time I have friends come around, because kind of, we have a group of friends who also like to play board games. We only ever really ever play them together, because none mm. of us kind of have groups that will play with outside of that, other than obviously me and you guys. Um but it means that whenever they can rain, we have kind of a game which can cover all bases. If we want something fairly casual yeah. and teamwork, we've got something like code names. If you want something cooperative and kind of a bit more serious, you've got something like pandemic. And then there are there are levels of kind of levity and complexity throughout. So there's like a scale of how we feel about a game and which one we go for on that day. But I think that that's I think that there's I think that people forget a lot that when you become really invested in a hobby there is the you start to go down the the route of like oh these are the games that i am interested in like board like hardcore board games or board games that most people just won't have heard of uh you know like i mean like for example um we'll talk about it in a second but like i picked up uh, i was very kindly bought seven wonders duel Ooh. um and um that's not something that would generally be around a bunch of people who like kind of lightly enjoy board games and so on that tends to be a little bit more core um but i think the reason that those games like these gateway games that you're talking about are so popular and they are considered gateways 
I just think that they're basically some of the best examples of board games. I think they are some of the best games. They're polished. Know? Yeah, they're so polished. They, they work so well. And it's, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, if you can understand... Oh, they're very accessible. They are accessible, but they're accessible because pe- they the rules... It's not that they're really simple rules, like because, you know, the most accessible rules are throw a dice and move a counter. You know, it's not snakes and ladders. Like, it's they're accessible, but they're explainable, and they all make sense in terms of the theme itself. And I, I love this idea of, like... I love this idea of gateway board games and having, like, a master set of, like... Here is generally like a g- great set of core games that everyone likes. I think like Catan is the classic. Like everyone should play it and have a copy sitting about because it is just really good. Um, and it is it's more invested than something like a Monopoly, but it's l- not so invested as like a Scythe. Can I talk about Seven Wonders Duel briefly? Yeah, you can. Yeah, I want to talk it. about. I want to talk about Seven Wonders. So I'm really curious to know what the difference is between them because I know literally nothing about Seven Wonders Duel except for so, the two players. So Seven Wonders Duel. I've not played Seven Wonders, but Seven Wonders Duel is a two-player competitive card game. Recently, I want to say this year slash last year won the 2015. Yeah, uh, it did. I did uh, yeah, did it win the Spurs? Yeah, I can't remember. It, I thought, uh, or second, maybe, or third for one of the big prizes. Um, certainly held up as a very, 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 very uh, good uh, competitive card game. Um, so the idea is that you are trying to get victory points. So there's there's three different victories. There's uh, military, uh, there is civil- civilian, which is kind of like the end, you tally everything up. And then there is uh, research and like knowledge as a victory as well. Um and you have a kind of like a tech tree. Um, again, I've been thinking about civ- civilization a lot. Kind of like a tech tree in an Age of Empires or a civilization or a Rise of Nations or something along those lines. And so it's spread out like a uh, kind of like a, a pyramid of cards. And you can only take certain cards when they're not being covered by other cards. So a little bit like Mahjong tiles, like you can mm. only take tiles that aren't covered. Uh, well, in this, you can only take technologies and... Um, assets for your for your kingdom, I suppose, um, when they're not covered up. And what you're doing is you're building up a kingdom. So you're trying to find a balance between military supremacy, um, which moves a pawn uh, up and down on like a com- uh, like a military combat track. And if you get right up to your opponent, you win the game instantly. It's like an instant game over. Um, same with knowledge. Um, if you collect enough of certain number of symbols that are on the technology cards that you can unlock as part of this tech tree, uh, then you again you immediately win the game. So it's a little bit more like subterfuge. It's like you really have to keep an eye on what your opponents got access to to know whether or not they're going to go for a knowledge victory. And then the civilian victory is a, a an end of the game once all the tech trees run out, kind of thing. Um, it is, I say, two-player only. Uh, took Alex and I, I would say, maybe 40 minutes. Uh, and this is, like, fresh into it, so maybe 25-minute, half-an-hour kind of card game. Um, 
And yeah, so you're building out these civilizations, and it really does feel like you are building up these civilizations. It's not like you're doing like the Sim City style. I'm going to place this building here, but it is the this is the general direction that my civilization is going in. So I'm going to focus on generating lots of money so that I can, you know, um, uh, purchase more te different types of technologies and really boost up my economy, um, or I'm going to get specific technologies and 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 building uh building types assets i suppose you might call them um i'm going to get specific ones because that pushes me down a certain path that i can uh iterate on these quickly i can i can get the next step of this technology for free because i already have this technology and that's a much more powerful technology so it's kind of like buying a thing so that you can hopefully get it in the future um yeah, I mean that's that's that that's kind of the uh, the general gist of it. Uh, obviously, a bit more complicated than that, but it's but it's not super complicated. It's not as complex as um, magic can get, um, or certainly like a netrunner or something like that. Um, though the base core rules are a bit more complex than a magic, which is very simple, like the actual straightforward. This is what you do, and this is what you do, and this is what you do. Because there isn't the constant, you know, when you're buying, getting cards in Seven Wonders Duel, you're not, it's not fundamentally changing the way that the game works. The flow is always the same, and so it's very much easily understandable. It's it's a card game that you can very quickly get another a, a, a player to, to get up to speed on. You would only really need to do one practice game. Um, as I kind of haven't been keeping in with the magic side of things and i've kind of realized that i've been winding that down in my head like not getting obsessed over ah oh, this new set's coming out and ah oh, this new new i've got to figure out how this works because i just haven't been playing it I've, I've not had the opportunity sam and i have talked about this on the podcast before of not having a nearby opponent therefore not playing the game therefore it's difficult to feel invested in that in that constantly changing meta with Seven Wonders Duel, I kind of feel like it, that's going to take its place. Like, I'm really interested at the moment in these limited two-player card games where you get a core set, a little bit like Netrunner, I suppose, where you get a core set, and that's the whole game if you want it to be. And if you want to expand it, there are specific sets of cards that you get. It's not this constant, like, booster pack mentality. It's a, I would like to expand the game in this direction, and that will make it more interesting in this way and this way and this way um i can totally see why it won uh, why it was uh championed but in in the spiel de genre um it's 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 impeccable and it's cheap it's like um i think it's you know i think it's like 20 25 pounds or something like that. obviously I, I was very graciously given it to friend of the show greg giddens but it, it it's it's an, an inexpensive way to sort of get into a bit of a card game um, it's not a like hand based thing. You're not like it's, there's no gotcha. There's no you know you're not like laying down traps and bombs and all that sort of stuff. But it is you know it, the core of it is a card game in some ways. Um, it's Ace. I don't know how it compares. How how does that sound, Chris? In terms of like Seven Wonders, it sounds like maybe thematically they're quite similar. Yeah, they are very similar. Beautiful artwork. Um, I don't want to just re rehash what you just said, Pete. Um, yeah, it takes place over three ages. You develop a civilization. Yeah. Every wonder is slightly different. You, you pick one of the seven wonders. Um, it's Dan. It's a bit like it's got the simultaneous card player Sushi Go. So I've got a hand of cards. I pick one and pass my ha entire hand to mm -hmm. the person either to my left or my right, depending on what age. 
they play a card. It's like Settlers of Catan in the sense that you need to start in your first age getting resources, yeah. you know, stone, glass, that kind of thing, to buy for other stuff later, a bit like Splendor. Mm. So, you, so when you work your way up the levels in Splendor, it's expecting you mm-hmm. to have a lot of ge- gems already beneath you to, to afford bigger cards. It's like that in Seven Wonders. Yeah. There are bits like certain cards are like the puddings in Sushi Go, which you, if you hold on to them, or the dumplings in Sushi Go, where on their own they don't mean much. As soon as you kind of get multiples of them, they start to kind of give you more and more victory points. And as Pete says, it depends where you want to place emphasis. Do I want to kind of amass my armies to be the the biggest badass in terms of fighting, get my points that way? Do I want to get it through gold? Do I want to get it mm. through science? Do I want to get it through civiliza- civilization? Um, sorry, through um, commercial buildings, that kind of thing. And it's that lovely process of that, that satisfaction you get with something like Splendor where you can just pick up a card because you've already got the gems for it. Yeah. But going back to Gateway Games, like, I was really turned off this game. I saw pictures of it. I mean, it's number one. It was on number one on board game geek for quite a while it's very it's always very high up there it's always number one on people's lists and um i couldn't believe my brother bought it for my parents for christmas because you just see it on this list i'm like oh my word and we had that process and the problem with gateway games is that it, it really helps if you you have somebody there it sounds really obvious he's already played it and my brother got halfway through like um a how-to thing on youtube and gave up and then you know, he had to do that horrible thing of having to learn the rules of the game while starting to play it and it was just really laborious but we got a few um, games under our belt, and it became really addictive. I mean, the, geez, we played like three or four games that back to back. Everyone loved I it. I think a lot of the gateway game stuff is whenever I've been around people who don't really play board games. Um, so we played, um, yeah, we played some stuff with some friends who came over for New Year's. Uh, you notice that when you open the box and you slide it up and you get that nice off the top uh, 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 of the of the box opening. Um, when there's a lot of pieces or like a big board or something like that with one of these games, like um, Ticket to Ride is a great... Like a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, Pandemic, Ticket to Ride, Catan even. These the, these games, and you, you show them to people who don't really play board games or this is maybe the first like proper, proper in inverted commas, like game, like beyond Monopoly that they've played maybe in, in years. You look at them and there is that initial like, oh God, like what have I agreed to? Like I'm going to have to learn loads of stuff and all that sort of thing. And actually a lot of a lot of what makes those first times with these new kinds of games special for those people is simply having somebody, the person who usually owns the game, to just basically go, no, no, no. It's really easy, and I'm going to explain exactly how it plays. And yeah. it's like, so you get that immediate, like, oh, God, there's a billion pieces, and there's so many little meeples, and oh, what on earth is going And there's a tome of a rule book, like, you know, 20 pages to learn. And what you actually need is just somebody to go, don't worry about that. We'll just we'll play a round or two, and, and, and you'll figure it out as we go along, because I'll be able to well, tell I think you. When I, when, I, when I got Pandemic, I played it with my wife, um... And she's played, she plays some board games, but not kind of a lot, especially not kind of serious, more strategy-based yeah. ones. And so for the first time we played it, uh, I put it on easy, uh, just the two of us, and I kind of forgot about half the rules because I said, you don't need to worry about those. For st- stuff like, not in terms of stuff that's going to break the game, yeah. but kind of certain uh, features within the game where you can fly to different cities or you hand in different cards for different cities, it doesn't affect the game if you don't use them. Um, but I, was like, I didn't want to overload. Yeah. So if I can give you... 
give you the kind of the core mechanics of the game and then we can play with that and then once you've got those down and those because there's less of them they're easier to get down you can then introduce some of the extra bits which are then much more easier because you've got the the stuff to fall back on because you already understand how the core aspects of the game work and pandemic's great for that because it's this group it's a co-op game so you're working together to cure the world of diseases so cooperative games are great gateway games because mm. you're not alienating anyone. Yeah. Um, as Holly, no. w- would would Holly like something like Forbidden Desert done? Because I know we've both we we both watched tabletop and things, and they did it on tabletop. So I know you've seen that. Which you, it's the same designer, Matt Leacock. Which would be like something like that, do you reckon? Possibly. I th- I think. I mean, a lot of the time, I think she can, as Pete, you were saying, sometimes get overwhelmed from that beginning. Right. And unless the game, unless you can very quickly get over that mm. hurdle i think for a lot of people it can be difficult to get yeah, over definitely. that and I'd, I'd i'd worry with something like forbidden planet forbidden not forbidden planet forbidden desert that there is so much going on um that if you're not going to sit down and dedicate time to it knowing you're going to play it a lot mm. i think some people will just kind of say you know what this is not for me i'd rather do something i can either pick up straight away or i know i'm yeah, going to play a lot yeah. of which is why fortunately and i wasn't i was going to jump in and ask for pandemic legacy but I thought, you know what, I'll get Pandemic. If that works, which fingers crossed it yes. has, I can then go all in and get Pandemic Legacy and then fun ensues. Oh. oh, it will do, Dan. It will. Sam and I are on August at the moment. Um, the Frosty Ds continue to surprise. Um, we can't spoil what they are. Oh, my word. It's extraordinary. The game just keeps pulling surprises left, right and centre. And Sam will text me because I think Sam like, stays awake at night worrying about this. You know, with these different tactics he wants to try next, that kind of thing. Do you want an interquill is, Peter? Do you want to guess what an interquill is? Is that a movie? Yeah. Where, or, sorry, tick. Tick. Where they set it between two movies that have already come out? Tick. Brilliant, Peter. Okay. Superb. Cool. Okay. Well done. So it's so uh, really, it's like... Um, Uncharted Golden Abyss to Uncharted 3? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some other bits? Because it's set before, but also after. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, let's, let's not go down yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, basically, we're talking about Rogue One, which is basically a film that's managed to insert itself between episode 3 of and um and... <laughs> anyway, that, that, uh, that was episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I thought that was all right. <laughs> Till the end, I remember seeing. Did you go and see that at the Commodore? Did you see yeah, it with me yeah, at the Commodore Cinema in Aberystwyth? Did you see that down at the Commodore Cinema? Aberystwyth. I, uh, I saw it at the cinema, so I must have there seen was, it there. There was yeah. this with Revenge of the Sith. I know we're not talking about this, but with Revenge of the Sith, I'm genuinely of the belief that that mm. that, that is a mo- right. That is a movie that from the start right up to the final sixty seconds is like okay. I I mean I mean you've got bad stuff to be working on here um so you you had some bad material to start with but this actually this i can see where this is going this is dark this is interesting this is this is very different this is really cool and you i felt like in the auditorium there was a group of people and we were like yeah okay all you need to do now is end it and this will absolutely be the best of this trilogy without a shadow of a doubt and then they didn't quite stick the landing. They, no, they, bit of a choppy landing. They did choppy is 
an understatement. They just ploughed straight into the ground. And it's d- a bit like that in. time, Peter, when we were doing that heist in Grand Theft Auto Five, and all you had to do was land the plane. Well, look, look, barrel rolling to show how fucking cool I am <laughs> and how great my piloting skills are was worth taking the risk. I mean, obviously, wasn't worth taking the risk because it all went very. That's well. exactly what George Lucas thought. Yeah, um, but of- I do fair, <laughs> look, just just without dwelling on Revenge of the Sith, I do remember. I think one of you just alluded to it then. The bit at the end where Darth Vader is born, uh, and spoilers, he's told that um, his love has died. It's 2006, and he goes, I think, wasn't it? And he goes, no! I would distinctly remember being in the cinema, having watched that whole film up to that point, seeing him being told this and thinking, don't, don't say, scream, don't no. Don't say no. Don't, just don't, don't do say anything other than looking up and screaming no. Just anything else. And then he goes... No! All he had to do was just look, like look sad. It just had to yeah. look sad because then it would have been like, ah, oh, despite wearing I a feel mask, even worse for Darth Vader. Like, like, oh no, that's really bad. But as it is, it's like, oh, fuck off. Like, no. And there was an audible groan. Do you remember that, Chris? There was an audible groan in the in the auditorium of people going, ah, oh, was probably oh. me. I was probably in the cinema. That was probably me. Yeah, it was just you in the background, like, no, don't say no, don't say no. Well, I remember being in the queue for the film. I remember it at the Commodore Cinema. I hope it's still running, Aberystwyth. It's one of those. It was a brilliant. It was one of those old school cinemas where, at the end of the trailers, beginning, the lights would come up and a little, a little like kind of little doors would open in the left bottom left hand corner. A little kiosk, and everyone would queue up and get their sweets and come and sit back down. That's so lovely. And you're always in that position. Oh, do I get up now, or do I just sit and wait for everyone to finish queuing, and then I can watch the film? And you used to get just one of those little. Uh, little green ticket stubs yes oh. but then you didn't even get like a printed ticket you just had one of these little tickets that they ripped off and just gave that it to you that was such a good cinema and it, I, I think it's cinema. still around like it's such a cool yeah. cinema like so like great cin- and it had a bar didn't it as well do you remember oh yeah it had like a licensed bar at the back yeah. you had a bar that here to you went downstairs yeah I I uh, so I know I've been um, uh, so this year, so last year was Frasier. Um, here's the big American sitcom that I want to, to, to watch and get the pop culture knowledge of. This year is Seinfeld. And um, obviously that's like slightly earlier than Frasier. Um, and one of the things that Commodore Cinema reminds me of is the period of time that Seinfeld, the first few seasons of Seinfeld is set in, which is obviously like, like very early 90s, maybe late 80s, very early 90s. And we forget how much we've, like society and all the cool things we can do has progressed in 25 years. Like, like the Commodore cinema, and I do not mean this disparagingly in any way, but the Commodore cinema in Aberystwyth is like walking into a cinema in the early nineties. Again, that thing of like, we're going to show you a thing on a screen that you can't see elsewhere and we're going to give you some popcorn, and here's a ticket, and it's a ticket ticket, and obviously you will want ice cream, and there will be an intermission, maybe. And There is only one film that you can see. And there is only one film that you can see. Because there's only one screen. Yeah, and like, and and that sort of, again... The idea that you have to come on the day that it's shown. Yes, and I don't want to say... There is only like three days in the week which is shown, because the other four days there's something else being shown. I don't want to say that, like, better times because i don't think that's the case like more choice is always better but there is something quite nice about going back to that no this is the film that you're going to watch like, well, do you remember we we in, we used to get the films like a month after the rest of the uk it was great get them. it was great 
Yeah. And you'd have a huge queue that you'd get to the cinema and sometimes you'd just say, look, we can't go tonight because the queue's too big. Yeah. We're not going to get in. Yes, absolutely. That's never happened to me since. Absolutely. And I, I just think that, that there's something really <laughs> Let's go nice to the bingo. Like that, that really nice. Do you know what? We've got to organise this. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah, Revenge of the Sith. I just remember walking past the queue and there were people dressed as like kind of like Jedi Knights and stuff. I remember oh, that. They were about to have their but, fucking hearts. But broken. Rogue One, Intercool, basically. Yes. Um, so it's set between I'm Revenge not, of the I'm, Sith and so, Four? New Hope. Is that uh, what it's yeah, called? Yeah, yeah. But it's set literally, Pete, like a few days before New Hope. Well, it technically begins about like 20, 15 years before. I'm not going to spoil it at all. Um, well, we, not, we may we may reveal kind of certain spoilers. So yeah, for, but not for like, Matt, you haven't not, seen it. Maybe pause, go watch it, and then come back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. f- thankfully Sam's editing this show and he has seen it. Otherwise, that'd be very awkward for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I saw I, Sam and I saw it at the IMAX in Manchester. It was great. We're not, and we um, Sam would agree with us. We're not massive. We weren't brought up on Star Wars. We're one of those few people that I'm, that are, I'm, that are kind of annoying because we got into Star Wars through The Phantom Menace. Right, okay. So we, we, we've actually, we've done it in chronological order, Ooh. well, apart from this interview. See, no, I, I watched them before before the prequels. So for me, when the prequels came out, it was a huge thing to just kind of be in the cinema and have that, the Star Wars music and the kind of the Star Wars kind of mm. name yeah, but, shoot onto the screen. That was a big thing. But for me, for me down, as a child, they, they I just, literally watched them all on video. Mm. But for me, Dan, it was great because they just kept increasing in quality with each film, which is brilliant, which was the opposite of <laughs> it. Um, so, but like, yeah, so basically, it basically answers the age-old question is how the Rebels got hold of the plans to the Death Star. Oh, was that not known? I thought they... It just says they got a hold of them. No, oh. no, it's basically a, in, it's in a the, heist the, slash kind of opening, war movie. Right. In the opening scroll of A New Hope, the da, which was da, the first da, 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 ever da, da, one. That one. Yeah, yeah that's it's it. A, well, they all do that. Um, right. It says... Uh, <laughs> A rebel group have discovered plans for the Death Star. That's how it's. That's how it starts. Okay. And I love the idea that the makers read that and kind of went, "That sounds like a good story." Yeah. How did they get those? Okay. A re- that sounds like a good story to tell. And it's actually great if you, having watched Rogue One, it's nice to see the start of New Hope because yeah. it literally feeds straight the, into it. Pete, you could watch. There's it a lot of effort other. gone into making it so you could watch Rogue One followed by New Hope and it and it segue lovely it and I think what I what I think is interesting because I think with Star Wars I think kind of at least hardcore fans they will they would always watch it in the order of probably of which in it was in which it was made so they'd watch probably episode 4 5 and 6 and if they wanted to they'd then probably go back and watch 1 2 and 3 and then they'd go maybe to 8 cuz that came out last year I reckon that Rogue One may change the order that some people watch it. I think some people would choose to watch that before A New Hope because it segues so nicely into right, it. Okay. That there's not... If you compare A New Hope and Phantom Menace, they're, they're completely different universes. They look completely yeah, different. Of course, yeah. There's a lot of work gone into Rogue One to make it look and feel like the original film. Oh, really cool. It's bizarre. I think that's re- it, it's really well done and really interesting. It is utterly bizarre because, like, I mean, even I, who was, who was a complete ignoramus when it comes to Star Wars, could really appreciate. They even had nods to the prequels, Pete, and it made it. it they suddenly they acknowledged them. That's and They cool. folded them into it. It was lovely and. Um, yeah, not um, many nods. So there's like, no. Jar, so is it like Jar Jar Binks, like walking in front of the camera with his like, head on a pike? Misa, no, uh, something that's vaguely racist. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's genuinely, it was, it was genuinely good. And actually, it's one of those films that I wasn't sure when I walked out, but the more I hear about what um, Gareth Edwards did in terms of his little <laughs> Easter eggs, his little nods he did, 
And it's a labour of love, the more I really appreciate it. Like splicing in footage, Peter, that wasn't used in the seventy, the original 77 film. Seamlessly into it. Hmm. And like, you don't realise. That's how well it, that's how well they've matched at the kind of the look of it. Oh, cool. But you don't, they don't stand out. Right. But what Dan was alluding to, because we have to talk about it, the elephant of the room, Pete, you've probably seen it in the news. There was an, um, uh, I was reading an article about it in The Guardian, but essentially they um, bring back Peter Cushing. Who's Peter Cushing? That's what I was about to move on to next, because I knew this would happen. Now, for the rest of the world, you know who Peter Cushing is. For Peter Wellington, Peter Cushing was basically a, a very famous, right. I can't impress upon you the very famousness of him, English actor of the stage Thank and you. screen. He played Van Helsing in the Christopher Lee Dracula films. Ooh. But he was also the Grand Moff Tarkin in A New Hope. Um, I don't know really basically, who that is. No, was that a big character in A New Hope? No, he wasn't. Not really. But you you would recognise him. Okay. Yeah, very kind of like, kind of almost like very, very striking cheekbones. Um, he kind of basically ran the Death Star. Okay. And they brought him back, Peter. But they brought back Peter Cushing for Rogue One. Oh, so but how, so how did they make him look young? Did they do like the like black? Like, no, 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 no. Dyed no, hair. The, the kind of... Peter Cushing died in 1994. Yeah. So, this is incredible. So they, they no, they so let's take you through it. They basically hired an actor who, early on in his career, he'd actually done like he'd he channeled Peter Cushing from earlier performances. Right. They he played Peter Cushing. They CGI'd onto his face. It was an actor called Guy Henry who uh, appears in a British soap, Holby City, and I think I, I read something where he'd said that. Um, if it had been any other role, or if, if it had been for any other actor, he wouldn't have done it. Because obviously it's a thankless task for him. It's not his voice, it's not his face, it's just his... Um, well, it is his voice. It's a, it's it's just, a motion yeah. capture thing, but there's nothing of him on screen. Mm. He said if it was for any other actor, he wouldn't have done it. But I think earlier in his career, he'd gotten some like really good advice and help, been helped by Peter Cushing. Oh, cool. And so kind of he felt that... He was happy to do it because he was doing it f- for him. Oh, that's and, really cool. But, that's, but it's so bizarre, Pete, because you've got this uncanny valley thing where you're watching an actor with more screen time now than he had in the original film, um, walking and talking, Peter Cushing in 2016 slash 17 now. Um, it's a bizarre experience. It's not like they've de-aged him like Robert Downey Jr. in Marvel Civil War. He doesn't live anymore. That's, so it's utterly bizarre. That's insane. To have him speaking and to actually like be centre stage in um, scenes, yeah, not just in the back background, it's 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 incredible, and it does take you out of it. They still haven't got it right. You can you can tell he's a CGI character. It's it's the it's one of the best I've ever seen though. Yeah, it, it's scary. I mean, is it as good as Tron, the new one, Tron whatever? Jeff Bridges, it is, where it's where <laughs> it's, it's very, better than that. It's like you see it on screen for the first time, and it, it comes looks out like of, a plasticine man. It comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? Like it looks no. so bad in Tron yeah. Three or whatever it is that's called Tron, Tron Legacy. Legacy. It looks so bad. Um, oh, okay, but it's better. No, this than is that. very, very yeah, good. but it, but um, it is bizarre. It, like it comes from no, you don't expect it. Okay, like um, but of course it makes perfect sense. This is set just before the events of 1977's A New Hope. You'd, you'd be a bit weird if he wasn't in it. Right, yeah, of um, course. So, um, but they put him in it, and it's just incredible. I mean, um, right, okay. So that, so that's that's caused a bit of controversy because, despite the Peter Cushing estate giving permission for them to use his likeness, people are th- are talking about the ethical ramifications of that. I mean, to what extent, you know? Well, what's the ethical ramification? I suppose using the likeness of a, uh, I mean, it goes back to the kind of traditional things in which an actor's likeness or image would be used or misused, say, for whatever reason, elsewhere. Um, 
See, the, it, this is what the film industry is so behind the times, man. Video games, we've had this for years. Tom Clancy's been dead for five years, and we've st- we've had four games based on his properties with his name on uh, from Ubisoft. Yeah, but that's not th- quite the same. No, yeah, but, William like, Shakespeare's Macbeth films are still coming uh, out now. Yeah, <laughs> but like this is like Tom. This isn't even based on anything Tom Clancy was anywhere near. Like, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege, he wrote none of that. There is no... uh, There's precious little of anything to do with any of the Rainbow Six squad in in Rainbow Six Siege. Not that I'm not a Tom Clancy fan, but, like, apparently there's some narrative stuff there. Like, none of that is there. And they're using his name left, right, and centre. Like, because he's a brand. He's just just a brand now. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you completely. I don't have any problem whatsoever, but it is, it's kind of eerie. It's I'm the sure uncanny it is, valley. So. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you've got that, you've got that one half of your brain telling you this is just very interesting and advanced CGI technology. And you're the other half saying, oh my word, Peter Cushing is alive and well. Yeah. It's bizarre. To, you, to use your analogy, kind of Pete with Tom Clancy, it would be the equivalent of a computer writing a brand new Tom Clancy novel which reads exactly the same as all of his others kind of in his style of writing. Didn't they do that with... Making a game with his name on isn't the same as writing a new book in the way that he would have well, written they do it. That. And they, like... they do do that. That's what HBO is probably doing with uh, Game of Thrones as they overtake George Martin. Well, they do do that with uh, Tom Clancy as well, I believe, uh, his literary work. Um, same with Ian Fleming, actually. there's A, the, a, the, a couple of years ago they did a quote-unquote new... Ian Fleming, James Bond. But wasn't that written, I think that was written by Sebastian Falk. Sebastian Falk, who did Birdsong. Uh, Faulkner? Folks? Folks? Folks, Folks? who did Birdsong. Oh, yeah, yeah, Birdsong. Uh, Didn't Charlie Higson do something? No, I don't. Okay. Didn't do like a young Bond or something? <laughs> yeah, Charlie Higson did Young Bond. Um, young Bond. Do you remember James? Do you remember the cartoon James, James Bond, Bond Junior was great. Have they done? An, have they done a book series on James Bond Junior? I don't know, but they did. I remember they used. To, I also love the episodes. They used to. The title would be riffed off a of James Bond film, it's like A View to a Thrill instead of A View to a Kill. <laughs> Pete, your face James is probably Bond. full of more James joy Bond than Junior. I've ever seen. That was such a good series. Oh my god! Do you know what? Well, next Christmas you're going to binge on that. After the, yeah, after this, I think I'm going to go on Amazon and see whether or not I can get it on DVD. Um, I came across an article uh, on. Um, it was actually Andy <laughs> Kelly flagged this up on Twitter. Ultra brilliant. Okay, yeah. About Tatler have just released a list of. Have you seen this? Posh babies names. Who t- who did this? Tatler. Tatler. Posh babies. Is this like a football Tatler. magazine or something? Tatler. Ta- no, Tatler is a is a. Um, I think it's an American magazine, isn't it? I've never read it. I don't know, but I've heard of it. But I'm. I've got a list here. These are actually genuinely posh babies' names for girls and boys, right. and they're incredible. So, well, surely they're just now, posh Dan, names. Dan, Dan, you're the closest, I think, in terms of <laughs> to being a baby. <laughs> no. So let's I get mean, your, I your opinion, Dan. <laughs> Dan, you're in a terms baby. Of like, in terms of having kids, <coughs> I don't know. Okay, so do you want to know what the? Um, if you want to give me a letter, then give me a letter, Pete. Give me a letter. Give you a letter. Yeah. Uh, let's go with J. J. Okay, Pete. So if you, if you give birth to a daughter, mm. you, could, you could name her Jory or Yori. That's, um, that's not a nice no, name. Like that. Jory? 
Yeah, jewellery. No. If it's a boy, yeah. apparently John is fine. Although I don't know why that's on that list. That's not <laughs> why is that posh? Posh, exactly. <laughs> come on, yeah. come on, tap. Dan, give me a letter. Dan, give me a letter. X. Oh, okay. Oh, X is always um, going to be over the top, Dan. A girl, Xantha. Xantha. And for a boy, <laughs> X-Man. You're joking. Word. You're joking. No, if you took that X-Man. to a name registry place, I would hope that they, they would let call you the police. X-Man Willington. That is... With his hot eyes. Amazing. With his hot eyes. <laughs> um, the... Okay. Uh, B. Okay. Blanche for a girl. Blanche? Yeah. She's from for the Golden Girls, isn't she? For a boy, Barclay. Oh, God. Posh people, what are you doing? Barclay's the name for a dog. Okay, okay. Barclay the dog. So, uh, let's see. What's... So, my, my name's obviously Daniel, so D. What would be the posh name, yeah, for, beginning with D? Yeah. Well, Dan, your name, it shouldn't be Daniel. It should... Oh, David, apparently. David. For oh, girls, yeah. though. Girls, though, Debonair. Debonair. Debonair Frost. What are posh white people <laughs> doing with their time that they have to come up with names like this? The thing is, though, the posh names pretty much are only the women because so far we've had David, John, John, David. Yeah, I mean, nah, I can... Dan, 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 there's a Ra for boys. Ra. Ra. <laughs> the, enem- the, enem- the sun god or the enemy of Stargate. Ra. Ra. <laughs> Ra. Ra. Are we headed into the 1920s? No, probably not. There's, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to re- reel them off very quickly. So posh names for girls. Alfreda, Blanche, Zaza. No. Debonair, Estonia, no. Figgy, Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Garden which, isn't that the garden which Jesus was betrayed? Jesus or something? Christ. To be, to be fair, I do have a... Uh, one of my cousins has a daughter who they're named Bodicea. That's, that's badass. That's, that's cool. And I hope that she's driving around chariots uh, at this point. Uh, well, she's not. When, when she loves to drive, just six spears in their alloys. But they all stay... They, they call her Bodhi. Oh, that's nice. She's uh, Australian, so it's quite kind of a surfer feel as well. Um, there's Hum, Idabel, Yori, Koala, Lark, oh. Monavine, oh. Nancy, Opal, Power, Queenie, Rara, Scar, Tansy, Una, Vervain, Wendy, Xantha, Yellow, and Zenya. Wait. <laughs> wait, 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 Yellow. wait. Yellow! I don't want to focus too much on these, but are you saying that there is... Ra and Ra-Ra. I know, yeah. I really hope that there is a posh family with nothing better to do than name their boy Ra and their girl Ra-Ra. I would absolutely (laughs) love Ra and Ra-Ra. Ra, what are you doing? Stop playing with Ra-Ra. Ra? No, Ra-Ra. No, not Ra. Ra -ra. (laughs) Ra-Ra. Ra? Just okay. like, can you imagine? That is just the just the. I'm angry about this. The word "ra" is actually like, like that is something that a, posh people stereotypically are meant to say. Like, oh, ra 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 ra. Like, what? It's a posh lion. What is it? Is it's a posh lion, Dan? You're completely right. What are people doing with their lives that they think "ra" and "ra ra"? <laughs> suitable for making human beings. What human beings are we putting onto this planet that that will grow up with names like that? All we are doing, all we are doing by naming Ra and Ra-Ra is guaranteeing that some child psychologist is going to be employed for a few years. Like, 
I mean, that's why you have the middle name as a backup. Pete, what's your middle name? <coughs> Barry. Peter Barry. Are you, are you sure about that? No, mine's not. Mine's John. No other middle names? <laughs> Et al. Um, <laughs> hang on. While, while, Pete, while we're waiting for Pete to give us middle names, I'll go for the boys' names. Posh baby names for boys. Okay. No. Orbin. Barclay. Cassar. David. Euripides. Euripides. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Gustav. Hickman. And I apologise if, if, listener, this is your name. Yeah. I don't want to make if fun of it. If we have a listener called... If we, no, no, no. If we have a listener called Euripides... If we have a listener yeah. called Euripides... A... I'm deeply sorry for everything. And B, get in touch because we'll have you on. Like, like you can be a guest if you're called Euripides and we will well, it, grill you on why on earth your parents thought Euripides was a good name for you. But yes. Well, you wrote some very good plays. Okay, Fenston, Gustav, Hickman, Innsbruck, John, Kenneth, Ludlow, Mao. Mao. Uh, Pete, Peter. Peter's on here. The posh people. But no, 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 no Peter. That doesn't sound Pete, like a this very is gonna, posh name at Pete, all. Pete, I'm gonna, I'm gonna circle back round to this because that's gonna annoy you the most. I'm gonna circle back round to this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Ormerod, Prince, <laughs> Quail, Ra, Stoughton, Titus, no, Uxorius, no. Victory, Wigbert, X-Man, Yak, and Zebedee. Wigbert. Wigbert is the name of a cartoon owl. It's not the name I of think a we should we should also right. uh, extend the invite to any listener called Wigbert. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> same deal. Pete, okay, so Wigbert, Peter, Chris. No, Peter, Wigbert. Peter. Th- 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 this is going to annoy you. children? Oh, hello, Wigbert. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> this is going to annoy you, Pete. Right, the Peter is actually written. N Peter. It's all one word, so it's written Napita, but the N is silent. So it's Peter. <laughs> That's That's amazing. N Peter. So is that like N power? Yeah. And, but it's pronounced just Peter because the mm, N is silent. Peter. No, that's no, that's the way that these these posh people speak. Mm, Peter. <laughs> you know. Oh God. Because Peter isn't considered a, a posh name. No, no, no. So go, mm, no, 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 nobody called Peter is particularly posh sounding or anything like that. Um, mm, Peter. Oh, go and play with Wigbert and Ra-Ra. And Ra. And Euripides. Euripides. When my parents were naming um, me and my, my siblings, mm. my dad just had a golden rule. It was basically, if you could shout it up the garden and not feel embarrassed, it was okay. Yeah, great. That was Staying In with Chris Darby, Daniel Frost and Peter Willington. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us spread the word about the show by tweeting us at stayinginpod. You can also visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to any of the subjects covered in this episode. But most importantly, thanks for listening.